Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The seal and the mark. The seal and the mark. Okay, uh, I think uh, straight away you know what we're going to talk about because in the book of Revelation it talks about the seal of God. It also talks about the mark of the beast. This is going to be the issue of contest in the last days. This is going to be, everybody's going to be either in the one group or the other group. And of course, especially as Adventists, we have a certain, uh, you know, uh, system of understanding of what will happen in the last days. And we consider ourselves well informed about the mark of the beast, the seal of God, and what's involved in it. And so there is a sense of uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, a bit of uh, pride or a bit of uh, looking at the end times with a sense of security. We know what's coming. It's going to be thus and so, and we're going to be ready for it by God's grace. Usually we, we add that to make it okay. And I want to challenge this particular aspect because I believe there is a lot of false security that exists as far as these things. It's one of the worst things when you think you know something is going to be such that way. And it ends up being different. And I think in this particular area, we have a very serious danger of misunderstanding and missing some principles. And uh, the result of that is actually uh, most people are going into the last days with a misplaced confidence based on misunderstanding something. So I want to explore that a little bit. I want to explore the, the common traditional way we understand things. And, and add some things to it in light of what we were going to find or what we understand from the scriptures anyway. But uh, one of the worst things I can imagine in the last days, as we see you no know, signs happening and things in the political world and the religious world, you know, everybody saw the, the video of the Pope recently and calling for unity. Okay, and everyone, wow, you know, this is, uh, uh, we go back to our prophetic charts, here it is, you know, it's all happening. It's, it's soon, it's very soon. I think it's one of the worst things is to go into that time thinking and sincerely believing you will receive the seal of God and to actually end up not receiving it. Or thinking that you've got it all set, how you're going to avoid the mark of the beast and make sure you never get it and actually end up receiving it. It's one of the worst deceptions ever. And so I want to look at these particular aspects because as we know, the issue in the last days is an issue of worship. The whole thing the whole contest between the mark of the beast and the seal of God, it's a contest of worship. And the contest of worship, brothers and sisters, is not simply which day do you worship on. For most people, this is the entire issue when it comes to the mark of the beast and the seal of God. It is just which day do you worship on. You got the right day, you're set, you'll be safe. If you got the wrong day, what want to you? And I believe this is a very dangerous thinking because it reduces the issues to a very shallow and simplistic thing. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Most people, to most people, this is the extent of the problem. I'm safe for the last days because I keep the Sabbath. No problem. That's what the issue is. Seal of God. That's it. I'm, I'm definitely going to get the seal. The great majority, 99% of Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, and when I say Seventh-day Adventists, I mean in the church or out of the church and independent groups, self-support, anyone who professes any kind of Adventist understanding. 99% our understanding of the seal of God, the mark of the beast, is so shallow that we're approaching the storm totally unprepared. Because we think the issue is simply, when do we worship? So I want to re-examine some of the things that we believe we're very familiar with and see if maybe we miss some things along the way. So we want to look, first of all, at the seal of God. 
And then the seal of God, of course, is in Revelation 7. So let's look at Revelation 7 and find some certain <clears throat> aspects that the Bible reveals about the seal of God. And the reason why we're looking at the seal of God and why we're looking at it in detail, I think it's quite obvious, that the seal of God and the mark of the beast are two opposite things. They are the inverse of each other. Whatever the seal is and whatever we find about the seal, the, the mark is the opposite of that or the inverse of that. And so in order to correctly understand the mark of the beast and what it can constitutes and the principles that are contained in it, we have to have a correct understanding of the seal of God. If we don't understand the seal of God properly, we will definitely not understand the mark of the beast properly. You with me? And so that's why I want to look at the basic uh, foundations. So we look at the seal. The seal of God is mentioned in Revelation 7, verses 2 and 3. And here it says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So this is the, the seal of God. We have a little board here to illustrate, so I'm going to do some writing. We need to uh, really go into detail here because we need to identify. The seal belongs to someone. It says the seal belongs to the living God. Who is the living God? We want to identify the owner of the seal. Because this helps us a great deal understanding certain elements of the seal. Who is the owner of the seal? Who is this living God? How would we answer this question? Okay, the Father and the Son. Any other thoughts? The Creator, correct? I want, I want a specific identity. Who, you know, who is this living God? Let's have a look at a few words. Sorry? The Maker, yes. These are all descriptions. He's the Creator. He's the Maker. Let's look at a few verses. Let's look at one in Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. I want us to answer these questions from the Bible with Scripture because we, we really cannot be uncertain about anything as we enter into these last days. Matthew 16, 16. The issue is very significant. Matthew 16 and verse 16. This is a discussion Jesus was having with his disciples one day. And he asked them, what do people say about me? And then he asked the disciples, what do you say about me? And this is Peter's answer in verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the... Living God. This gives us an identity, a little bit of an insight here. So the living God has a son who is Jesus. Okay? So it would be the Father. Let's look at another verse. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians, towards the end of the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians. Just look at a couple of verses here, just so we can make sure our conclusions are biblical, not just one verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul here writing to the church in Thessalonica, verses 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10. He says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So here it adds another description even, but it also gives us an identity. So not only is he known as the living God, but he's also known as the living and true God. And he has a son who's going to come back a second time. His, his son's name is Jesus. And so, of course, the living God, the living and true God is none other than the Father. Now, if we go back to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, we find that all this fits perfectly with 
the seal. Revelation chapter 14. <clears throat> and what we're looking at here, before we read the verse, what we're looking at is the owner of the seal. So, so far we're finding that the owner of the seal is the living God, the true God, the one who has a son whose name is Jesus. The seal belongs to one individual person, to one individual being. It belongs to the Father. It does not belong to a committee. It does not belong to a group. It belongs to one individual being. This is very significant. Let's keep that in mind. And Revelation 14.1 specifies exactly what we found. and gives us another insight. Verse 1, and I, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. His father's name. So here we have the father's name written in their foreheads. Where is the seal of the living God received? In the forehead. And the book of Revelation essentially tells us what constitutes the seal of the living God. It is actually the identity of this living God. It is the father's name written in the forehead of the 444,000. Can we all see that? Now, this is uh, maybe quite different to what uh, we usually understand to be the seal. Because usually when you talk about the seal, people straight away say, oh, the Sabbath. And we go to the day of worship straight away. And in so doing, we many times forget the object, or we're not going to say the word object, of, or who the Sabbath is pointing to. Who is being worshipped? That's what we want to uh, examine a little bit. So the seal is his name, the father's name. And, and what would the father's name be? His character. It's, it's a correct understanding of his identity, who he is. It's not anyone with any other name or names. It's the father's name, his character, his identity, his, his authority. His uh, territory. And yes, that's right. We'll come to that because that's, that's usually how we understand as far as uh, the seal is concerned. And uh, the seal is located in the forehead. Of course, this is the mind. This is where we worship. And uh, you remember that uh, when Jesus one time was asked a question about the greatest commandment, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and all your strength. The mind involves, is involved in worship. We need to worship God with our mind. That means with understanding, not ignorantly, not mysteriously, not in the dark, hoping that our worship is going to hit the mark. God wants his people to worship him intelligently with understanding. The 144,000 know that. It's signified by the fact that they, who they worship, his name is inscribed in their foreheads. They have an understanding of the identity and character of who they worship. They're not confused about worship because that's what the contest is about in the last days. It's a battle of worship. And of course, Jesus identified to us uh, who the true worshipers will worship. Let's go to John chapter 4. Just quickly here. John chapter 4. These 144,000 are actually true worshipers. They are servants of the living God. They have correct worship, whether it be time or identity, who they worship. And John 4, verse 23, John chapter 4 and verse 23, Jesus spells it out to the woman at the well. 
And he says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to worship him. So the true worshipers worship how many? They worship one being who is the father, the living and true God. True worshipers. Because in the last days, there's going to be true worshipers. There's going to be false worshipers. And the 144,000 are true worshipers. That's the seal of the living God, the seal of the Father. Now, the thing is, we often think of the seal as having to do with the Sabbath only. Like I said, and, and this is where the problem begins to arise. Uh, this is not the case. That belief that the seal is just the Sabbath is not correct. As we're seeing here from the book of Revelation. And the sad thing is that when so many people believe it's just that, can you imagine the overwhelming shock when the realization hits them maybe too late or hits us, if we misunderstand it as well, and hits us too late in the thickness of the time of trouble when everything is going crazy, that there is more to this than we thought. It's a very, very serious calamity. Now, the Sabbath is important. Let me, let's look at the Sabbath quickly here. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 20. Uh, yes, verse 20 is good. We'll look at verse 12. Verse 20 says the same thing as 12. But let's look at Ezekiel 20, verse 12. And we'll see how the Sabbath fits into this question. Because someone will say, oh, I can't believe you're talking about the sea. You haven't mentioned the Sabbath yet. Let's have a look at Ezekiel 20 and verse 12. <clears throat> it says in verse 12, Moreover, also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctified them. So the Sabbath here is referred to as a, as a sign. Now what's it a sign of? The verse says that I am the Lord that sanctify you. Now, the 144,000 are sanctified, isn't that right? By who? The Lord. Who's the Lord here referring to? It's in capital, right? In capital, in the Old Testament, known in the King James, it is Jehovah, or in the Hebrew, Yahweh, which is the name of the Father. So, in other words, the Sabbath is a sign that the Father sanctifies his people in that he dwells in them by his spirit and so on. We're not going to go to those details, but he sanctifies his spirit. He makes them holy. The Sabbath is a sign that points to that. The Sabbath is a sign that points to the true and living God as the sanctifier of the 144,000. We cannot make the seal just that and ignore this part of it. We cannot. We cannot break the two. And yet, in most people's minds, this is this is totally irrelevant when it comes to the seal of, of God. You with me? And this is what we want to explore because the same problem exists with the mark of the beast, as we shall see. Exactly the same problem. So the, the, the Sabbath is a sign. And of course, a good example of that is, is uh, when God gave the covenant of, uh, when he made the covenant of righteousness by faith with Abraham, and then he gave him a sign of that covenant. Remember what the sign was? Circumcision. Circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. It was as a seal. It wasn't the whole 
story. In other words, if you were circumcised, it didn't mean that you were necessarily receiving the covenant, did it? It was only an outward sign in the flesh of a greater truth, a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. If you did not have the spiritual reality, possessing the sign meant absolutely nothing. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Possessing the sign without what the sign signifies means absolutely nothing. And does that, is it possible then, if you have the sign and not have what it signifies, is it still possible for you to receive the seal of the living God? Okay, I'll let you decide on that one. I'm only going to tell you. But I happen to agree with you. Imagine if you don't have the true and living God, you just happen to be a Sabbath keeper. How can you receive the seal of the living God? You cannot. Now, this is very alarming news to a lot of people. I want you to really, I want the, the enormity of that thought to really sink in our minds a little bit. And we realize as Adventists, I don't know how many there is of us in the world, what, 17 or 18 million, someone said one time when we were sharing. And most of us, and, and, and I don't want to say this is us and them or anything of the sort. We are all brethren professing the same faith to a great degree. We agree on more things than not, right? And here we are as God's professed remnant people. And we have the information about the seal and the mark and we're ready and we're going right in. And in the process, we've missed the true God. And we're expecting to receive the seal of the living God, but we don't even have the right living God, the true and living God. It's a very fearful deception how the devil has spun things around. So, just like you can be circumcised and not even partake of the blessing of the covenant, you can have the sign of the seal and not even have the seal of the living God. There's more to the seal than we thought. The seal is the name and identity of the living God, it's the Father, it's who we worship. Because the last days, the issue is an issue of worship. And when we talk about worship, usually uh, the first thing that comes to mind is which day we worship as Adventists. Because it's in our name, it's what we talk about all the time. And uh, the fourth commandment is, is the Sabbath, which tells us when we worship God. Isn't that right? But before the fourth commandment, there are three others. Do you know that the first four commandments all deal with worship? Not just the, not just the fourth one, all four. And since the issue in the last days is worship, then all four have to be involved in the seal of the living God. Not just the fourth. So the first commandment actually tells us who we worship. The second commandment tells us what we worship. And the third commandment tells us how we worship, and the fourth tells us when. I'll just quickly go through the first commandments. I am the Lord thy God. It tells us who. That's Yahweh, Jehovah, the one who brought them out of Egypt. What we worship God is an actual being. He's not an image. He's not an idol. He's not an ether. He's not a, a concept. God is an actual being who cannot be represented by any of these things. A, a literal being, um, I must add, because some people believe God is only a concept. Uh, the third commandment tells us about how we worship with reverence and with respect, with regard to God's name. And the fourth commandment tells us when we worship this true and living God. So all four are aspects of worship. It's, it's really, really 
simplistic and shallow to reduce the whole issue to just this one. You with me? Yeah. You really miss something very serious. And, and brothers and sisters, this has to do with the seal of the living God. We know in the last days, you're not going to make, if you don't have the seal, you're not going to make it. It doesn't matter how many other doctrines you believe and, and prophecies or anything, you will not make it if you don't have the seal of the living God. It has to do with worship and how we relate to God. Now, I want to clarify also that this, having the seal of God is not just a, understanding these things in our head. It's actually being changed by them. It's having a correct and living relationship with the true and living God. That's what the sealing is all about. And we'll come to that in a minute as well. Now, I want to quickly go over an example of a group of people who had a very similar experience, who focused on one particular aspect when it came to truth, and they totally missed, on the, missed out on the bigger picture. And that group of people is the Jews, the Jewish nation. Remember the Jews, of course, uh, they, uh, they rejected Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. They rejected him as the son of God. And uh, to a great degree, let's, let's have a look at, at this verse in, uh, in John 8 and see what was involved in their rejection. John chapter 8, verses 41 and 42. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. So they were here, they're having the issue of the, how Christ was born. They were kind of casting some uh, aspersions and remarks on, on how he was born. And Jesus basically tell, told them, if God was really your father, you would love me because I'm really his son. In rejecting me, you're really rejecting who? Him, the father. And actually, a little later, he actually told them who their father was. He said, you're of your father, the devil. <clears throat> now, these were people who were keeping the fourth commandment or not. They were keeping the fourth They were keeping the Sabbath. But they rejected the, fourth, the Lord of the Sabbath. They were keeping the sign, but they rejected what the sign pointed to. The Lord of the Sabbath himself was rejected. And Jesus said, in rejecting me, you're really rejecting uh, my father. As a matter of fact, you're not even of God. You are of your father, the devil, and the deeds that your father will do. And, uh, of course, in another place, Jesus said that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father, which is sent him. And that's exactly what happened. These, the Jews had rejected the son. And in order for us to honor the son, I think the most basic thing is to honor him as the son, not as anything else. Now, the Jews had rejected that. And this is the key point here. The reason why they rejected him, amazingly enough, is because they felt that he disregarded the Sabbath. Isn't that right? The first time they wanted to kill Christ was over Sabbath breaking. Perceived Sabbath breaking in their mind. Yes, that's right. Yeah, sometimes. Correct. That's right. And of course, he wasn't breaking the Sabbath in any way, shape, or form. But it's all these things that they burden the Sabbath with. They come to idolize these things the law and the keeping of the law. They were very good seventh day Sabbath keepers, weren't they? And in the process, they rejected the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, I ask you a question. All along, they thought they were still with God. What happened to them eventually, not many years after Christ died? At about 70 AD, what happened to the Jewish nation? 
They were scattered and totally destroyed. What did their Sabbath keeping accomplish for them? Nothing except a fearful deception. You know, we're reading great controversy where the Jews would go to tell people that God is still with us while they were surrounded by Roman armies, while they were still starting to say, God is still with us. Don't worry. Some miracle is going to happen. God, because we are his people, we keep his Sabbath. A fearful deception happened to them. Their trust somehow had imperceptibly shifted from the God of the Sabbath to the Sabbath itself, to what they were doing. We are good, law-abiding, obedient people. We're fine. Has the same happened to us or could the same happen to us? You know, they're a picture of what will be. When Jesus talked about uh, the destruction of the world in Matthew 24, he was also talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And the structure of Jerusalem is a picture of what will happen in the end. And God's professed people in that time is a picture of God's professed people in the end. So there is a very important lesson here. So the, the key point is we as a people are under a very fearful deception. Maybe we have misunderstood things about the topics that we believe we're experts at. That's the danger. It's the things that you believe you're an expert at. That if you get wrong, you are really setting yourself up for a very serious deception. Let me read to you a statement here from Surah Prophecy. Manuscript releases volume 17, page 13. Satan is working that the history of the Jewish nation may be repeated in the experience of those who claim to believe present truth. The Jews had the Old Testament scripture and supposed themselves conversant with them, experts. But they made a woeful mistake. The prophecies that refer to the glorious second appearing of Christ in the clouds of heaven, they regarded as referring to his first coming. Because he did not come according to their expectations, they turned away from him. Satan knew just how to take these men in his net and deceive and destroy them. What was it? Misunderstanding of scriptures. They thought they were experts in interpreting scripture this way and that way. They had mapped out the coming of the Messiah, exactly how it will be. And they had that whole scenario worked out in their minds according to their theology. And they were deceived. And then it says, Satan is working so that that experience of the Jews is going to be repeated for God's professed people in the last days. And we have a system of interpretation and understanding of all the end time scenarios and exactly how it will be. And all our expectations are lined up because we interpret scripture a certain way. And brothers and sisters, we are in a very serious problem because when it comes to this issue, we've missed something very significant. And most people are not aware of this. Trusting in our interpretations and on our, on our, our, in our understanding, that's what the Jews had come to. They were very precise Sabbath keepers, the Jews were. Probably better than uh, most of us today. But they'd missed something. Now, when we talk about the seal of God, people usually say, well, brother, hold on a minute. You, you're really, you're muddling the water here. Ellen White says, clearly, the seal of God is the Sabbath. You're just adding stuff now and just maybe pushing your agenda because you want to talk about this Godhead stuff and, and you're really confusing the issue. The seal is the Sabbath. Ellen White says it. Please don't make too much trouble for us. 
Some people believe that. And I want to read what Ellen White says, actually, about the seal and about the Sabbath. I read some statements, and you tell me what you understand. <clears throat> Those who would have the seal of God in their foreheads must keep the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. Bible Commentary, Volume 7. Those that have them or receive the seal of God must keep the seven-day Sabbath. She recognizes the seal belongs to God. It's not just this. Let me read you another one. True observance of the Sabbath is the sign of loyalty to God. True observance of the Sabbath is the sign of loyalty to, to God. So if you don't have this or you have something wrong or something else in place of this, what's the use of having the sign of loyalty if you don't have what it points to? See, a lot of people don't realize, and when Mrs. White wrote the statements that she did, the church at the time believed the truth about God. We have to look at the statements in their historical account. We forget that. We read those statements today when the church has changed things here. And we still say, oh, this, everything is okay. We still have the Sabbath. We have the sign. It's okay. And in the process, we have been deceived. The devil has deceived us over what it is a sign of. I think a lot of you know a very popular, important statement that tells us what the ceiling is. It's a, the statement talks about the ceiling as a settling into a truth. You remember that one? Let me read that to you as well. This is from Bible Commentary, Volume 4. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for this shaking, it will come. Indeed, it has begun already. So the ceiling is a settling into the truth. What is the first truth that comes to your mind when we talk about the seal of the living God? Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll ask you again. What is the first truth that comes to your mind when we, say, when we talk about the seal of the living God? It should be the, who the living God, who it belongs to and who he is. That's the most fundamental truth. The seal belongs to God. If there's any truth you're going to be settled in in order to receive the seal, it's who is the owner of the seal? Who does it belong to? Who's the author of the law? Who's the author of the law? That's right. Who's the author of the Decalogue? Who's the author of the law? That's right. And which God? The God who has his name the in their foreheads. Yes, the living God who has a son whose so name is Jesus. So, a settling into the truth. The sealing is a settling into the truth. So, would the truth about the living God be an important aspect to receive the seal of God? You know, this is so basic and so fundamental. It's almost like we miss it. We assume that we have that all correct. We don't realize what has happened. And that's what we're trying to point out. Now, I'm, I'm sure many of us are familiar with that, but I just want to look at it in this particular context because, you know, in, in the when the realization dawns on you and on me, it's really, really fearful. How many people have this false trust and security thinking they're all set when it's not as they think. What about error about the living God? Would that disqualify you from settling into the truth? You see, I have just some thoughts to consider. Now, all this information, brothers and sisters, actually helps us to understand what's on the other side, the flip coin of this, the mark of the beast. And we're going to look at that as well, briefly, because... The mark of the beast 
is not simply which day you worship, as is commonly held. So we're going to put on this side here, this is the mark of the beast. This is the mark of the beast. And that's why we say we put them here, because the mark of the beast also has to do with the same issues. Yeah, in the forty and where it's received, that's that's another story. We'll, we'll, if we have time, we'll get to that. But but what it is and what it what it constitutes is very significant. Where we receive it, you know, it's, it's and if you get it in the hand or the forehead, it's bad news. So <laughs> as long as you know what it is, you can avoid it. Uh, now we have reduced the see the, the mark of the beast to Sunday, and we essentially, unfortunately, look at Sunday keepers as potential. Targets, all of them are getting the mark of the beast, poor Sunday keepers, because it's all about Sunday. And we look at ourselves as incredibly safe and secure because we obviously don't worship on Sunday and we never will. You know, I hear people talk about the last days and, and they're, sadly, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people. And I don't say this condemnation, but it just reveals a, a, a dangerous trend. That's all. A lot of people's security going into the last days is dependent on their willpower to refuse to worship on Sunday. And people say things like, you know, brother, if they put a gun to my head, I never worship on Sunday. And things like that. I've heard comments from people like that. It's depend their willpower to just hold on to yourself and not worship on Sunday. That's how they will avoid the mark of the beast. You know what I'm talking about? This is a very sad deception, brothers and sisters. There are people who honestly, sincerely think this is it. This is how they can be ready for the last day. It's a very, very serious deception. The contest of worship, like we said, is not just when we worship, it's who we worship. Now, if I ask you a question, which is more important, who we worship or when we worship? Both are important. No, I'm not saying one is not. But which one is more important? Well, God put it first, right? And why we worship? Okay, good point. Because he is the creator, because of who he is. So the why points to the who. Okay, so we'll put a why here. Thank you. That's a good point. That's a really good point. This is totally irrelevant without this. You realize that? Totally and completely irrelevant without this. Who we worship. The Sabbath is about the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a sign that points to God. In like manner. So over here we have Sunday, right? Sunday worship. And Sunday worship is understood to be the mark uh, of the beast, especially enforced Sunday worship, like we said. But... Sunday worship also needs to point to a who. And it's not pointing to the who of the Ten Commandments. It's pointing to the God that is worshipped in this system. Yes, yeah, Satan and all these things. Let's, let's uh, look at a verse here. Because there's more to the mark of the beast than we thought. Let's go to my, uh, Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. I want you to read carefully this verse. I don't know if you've given this verse much thought. But this is where it talks about the mark of the beast. One of, one of the first occurrences where it mentions the mark of the beast. Verse 16, and he caused it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save, that he, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So here we have the mark. But what else is there? Or... The name or the number. We always only focus on this. Right? Mark of the beast. 
But it also talks about name, it talks about number. What, what are these things? Because if you receive this and this, same problem. Bad news, you can't buy or sell. You're in that group. I'm, uh, sorry, if you have this, you can't buy or sell. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, this, this is the bad group. Any of these points, you're in the wrong group. So uh, the mark of the beast, well, we know that one. That's Sunday worship. Okay, we got that one figured out. What's, what's the name? What's the number? We know the number. It says it there. What about the name? Okay, name is character. Mystery. In the same chapter, it actually tells us. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 and 2. Oh, well, one, 1 says it. Verse 1 talks about the name. It says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise out of, up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. What does blasphemy mean? Cursing God. A little later in the chapter, a little later in Revelation. Speak wrong things about God. Very good point. Jesus said, you know, why do you want to stone me? See, they said, we don't stone you for any good work. But because you being a man, because you blasphemed, and that you being a man, make yourself God. It's making, now of course he was the son of God. I think we all understand that. They had a wrong idea. But it's making God that which is not God. It's putting something or someone in the place of God that does not belong there. Maybe even above. Or above. And it's taking the attributes of God upon yourselves. Like we know uh, about forgiving sins and so on. You know, uh, claiming to forgive sins is only a divine act, an act of God. To claim to forgive sins, you're claiming God's prerogatives. You cannot do that. That's part of blasphemy. There's a number of verses that talk about this. We're still there. Let's look at verse 6. Same chapter. Verse 6. I just want us to think about this. There's more to the what we th mark of the beast than we, than we think. That's all. I want you to, to think with me about that. Revelation 13, verse 6. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Blaspheming God and his name. That's whose name is in the foreheads of those who have the seal of the living God. So blasphemy against God and against his name has to do with altering or changing or corrupting or lying about this particular point. Because the battle of worship is going to be fought here in everyone's minds. You realize that? That's where this whole contest of worship is. Now, <clears throat> I think we all know that uh, when we talk about the mark of the beast, usually we, uh, we say, well, you know, the mark of the beast. Well, let's see what Rome says. And we produce these quotes where Rome says, Sunday is our mark of authority. Familiar with all that? And so you see, Rome says Sunday is, the, is their mark of authority. This is the mark of the beast. And when they enforce it in the last days, watch out. There it is. We told you what the mark of the beast is. But Rome doesn't only say that. Rome actually tells us there is something that is more important than Sunday as their mark of authority. What, according to Rome, is more important? I think you all know. What does Rome say is more important than Sunday? The doctrine of the Trinity, thank you. It's actually why they worship on Sunday. As a matter of fact, they say the Sunday is dedicated to the Trinity. So the Sunday is, of course, the sun god. I'm not going to go into all these details now. I think most of us know. Do you know the sun god comes from Babylon and has to do with the Trinity? So, yeah, okay, good. So most people know that. That's good. Uh, 
The Trinity is the God that is worshipped in Rome. The sign of allegiance to this God is Sunday worship. Just like that points there. This is the sign that points to this God. So am I saying that the Trinity is part of the mark of the beast? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Because the mark of the beast has to do with who you worship, not just when you worship. Because the seal of God has to do with who you worship, not just when you worship. It's a contest of gods, the true God and the false God. It's not simply a contest of which day you go to church. We cannot just reduce the issue to, the, to that simplistic level and, and, and sadly uh, have this false security. This is the God that is worshipped in Rome. I think you all know the quote. I don't need to go pull out the quotes. I think we're familiar with that. Uh, that they say that the Trinity is the central doctrine. The mystery of the Trinity is the central doctrine of the Catholic faith. Upon it are based all the other teachings of the church. The teaching of Sunday worship is based on the God that they worship. It's based on the Trinity. Now, we're looking at the beast that has the name of blasphemy on his, on his head. Now, this, the, in the book of Revelation, it also talks about the woman in Revelation 17. It says the woman also has a name written on her forehead. Remember what's written on her forehead? Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Let's go to Revelation 17, 3. Let's just quickly look at some things here. Revelation 17, 3. <clears throat> so he carried me away in the, in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of... Blasphemy, there it is again, having seven heads and ten horns. Same description. The woman is sitting on this beast with names of blasphemy, and on the woman's forehead is this name, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. What's an abomination? Uncleanness, distrust, something totally and completely distasteful and abhorring to God. Disgust. Disgust? Now, in the book of Ezekiel, Chapter 8, there is a list of abominations there. I'm not going to go do the whole study, but if, does anyone remember? A list of abominations in Ezekiel chapter 8 that God's professed people fall into just before the close of probation and destruction comes. And if you look at the list of abominations there, they all have to do with worship and who is being worshipped. And the contest in the last days over worship and on the head of the woman is written mystery, royal and great. Mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Rome is responsible for bringing in abominations into the earth that they have bequeathed to all their daughters. And the abomination has to do with who is being worshipped in Rome. As a matter of fact, all the daughters of Rome worship the same God. And so that's, that's the God that's worshipped here. And we can symbolize this with a very neat uh, equilateral triangle. Yes, I'm glad. The, the three and one, yeah, it does actually. Yeah, all saying I, correct, and all of that. The, the three and one triune God is the God of the beast. This is what the issue is about in the last days. You know, a lot of people say, you know, Mrs. White didn't say anything about this. She only said Sunday and immortality of the soul. So this is what we have to watch out for. You guys are going on about all this stuff. You've all come up with this in your minds. The prophecy doesn't talk about any of this. You're just off on a limb here. You need to come back to solid ground. 
Now, you know what I'm talking about? There are people who believe that, people who say that. Brothers and sisters, there's, it's been over a hundred years since the servant of the Lord died. A hundred years of things that have changed and different things that have come in. We cannot ignore the historical context. Now, I want to challenge you with a few statements. Since people say, oh, Spirit Prophecy says, to see, you know, are we off with the fairies here with what we're talking about? Or is this, is this something that is that's correct? We looked at it from the Bible. It, it, I hope it makes sense. Are you seeing what we're seeing here? Makes sense so far? I want to read to you some statements as well, because the Spirit of Prophecy does talk about these things. Let me share and, and, and see what you make of it. Testimonies, Volume 6. The light we have received upon the third angel's message is the true light. The mark of the beast is exactly what it has been proclaimed to be. Not all in regard to this matter is yet understood, nor will it be understood until the unrolling of the scroll. You catch that? It says the mark of the beast is what we say it is in fourth Sunday worship, but not everything about that is yet fully understood and more will be understood with the unrolling of the scroll, with the passage of time. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe a hundred years later, there's been a little bit at least of unrolling of the scroll. And a little bit more understanding of what else is involved in the mark of the beast and the issues and the principles on which the mark of the beast is based. You with me? So servant of the Lord says, yes, that's true, but there is more. We've totally ignored the more part. We've just stuck with that. This is it. Just avoid this and you'll be fine. As a matter of fact, I have, I have, I know people, friends who will say, you know, if they meet someone on the train and, and, and that, and they feel a, a sense of responsibility and duty to share the, the message and, and the Advent truth. And sometimes they just want to share a warning. They say, I might never meet this person again, but I just want to leave them with something. And usually, you know what they say? When the Sunday law comes, make sure you don't go along with the Sunday law. And this is like the climax of the, here's, here's a little safety tip for the last days. <laughs> Have you, you know what I'm talking about? I know friends who do this, and they're very genuine and sincere. They say, look, you know, you might not understand this now, but maybe it'll come in your mind. When the Sunday law comes, just don't worship on Sunday. And probably the guy look at them, wow, that's, that's a bit weird. But people do this. What does that reveal? It reveals in the person's mind what we understand as the ultimate climax, what the issue is. If you were to summarize how you can be safe in the last days, it's just don't worship on Sunday, you'll be fine. Now, here's a question. I want to, I want to think about some things here in light of what, what we're looking at here. Is it possible while you're worshiping on the Sabbath to actually... Be worshiping this God. Okay. All right. Is it possible while you're worshiping on Sunday to be worshiping this God? Yes and no. Okay. So what I'm, what I'm saying is here, okay, there's, there's all kinds of potential scenarios that can develop as a result of this. Okay, it's not possible in the end of the time. Okay. Okay, good point. Because if they're really worshiping this God, then the Spirit of God will prompt them and lead them, and they will respond and, and come to the right side. Okay? All right, that's, that's true. But here's the danger, particularly in this scenario, that if someone has this and this, what does that mean when it comes to the seal of the living God? And what does it mean when it comes to the mark of the beast? Because they have to receive one or the, or the other. That's a very dangerous thing. I'm not going to sit here and judge and say they'll receive this or they'll receive that. But just contemplating it is a little scary. Isn't it? Because you receive one or the other. And the true elements of the seal on the mark is who you worship. 
who is being worshipped. Because the mark of the beast is really a principle of rebellion in worship against God. It can come in the shape of enforced Sunday worship. It can come to you in another shape. So if the mark will be presented in some shape, that means we need to examine what the principles of the mark are. We've stuck to one shape. Which is, this is one aspect of the mark of the beast. And we said, that's it. This is all there is to that. It's not all there is to that. There's actually a lot more. The Sunday issue is obviously part of that. We don't deny that. All we're saying is there's more. There's a lot more. Let me read you one that I think is the clearest and is, 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 is really alarming. This is from Bible Commentary, Volume 7. I want you to pay attention to this. I know we're getting hungry and lunch is on. We're almost done, okay? Just pay attention to this one. The third angel's message has been sent forth to the world, warning men against receiving the mark of the beast or of his image in their foreheads or in their hands. To receive this mark means to come to the same decision as the beast has done and to advocate the same ideas in direct opposition to the word of God. Did you catch that? The mark of the, to receive the mark of the beast means to come to the same decision as the beast has done and to advocate the same ideas in opposition to God's word. It doesn't specify. Now, what is the most important idea that the beast advocates? It's the God that they worship. If we come to a place where we come to the same decision and advocate the same ideas, contrary to God's word, according to this statement, it means we are promoting the mark of the beast. Isn't that alarming? To agree with Rome and promote what Rome promotes in opposition to God's word is tantamount to receiving the mark of the beast. You know what that means? You don't need to worship on Sunday to receive the mark of the beast. You can be a Saturday keeper and still receive the mark of the beast. This is anathema to some people. Some people don't believe that. Most people don't believe that. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, if you, if you just dwell on that for a minute, maybe it'll hit you. The enormity of the deception of us as a people that we're facing. Here is a huge group of people, the remnant. And we're going to the last days, believing with all sincerity, it's all going to be well. We just had this. Not realizing... You know, trying to back away from the lion, backing right into the lion's den. Yeah. It's a very, very fearful situation, brothers and sisters. It's a situation that a lot of people need to be warned about. Because that's what the issue is all about. It's an issue of worship. And that's why a lot of people, you know, hear this, say, oh, but our trinity is different to Rome's trinity. You heard that one? I hear that all the time. And, and so therefore, we're not advocating the same ideas. If you're advocating an idea contrary to God's word, first of all, you're not in the good books. <laughs> Second, so any, any version of the Trinity has essentially the same principles, the same concepts. Any variety or version of the Trinity denies the fact that Christ is the begotten Son and creates a third person different to the Father and the Son, called God the Holy Spirit. And so... It, it, the Trinity has a number of varieties and variations. So the, it doesn't really matter if you, you're saying it a little bit different to Rome. It amounts to the same thing. 
that's that's a very serious thing to keep in mind as well. So this has to do with the mark of the beast. Well, who would have thought? You know, a few years ago, I never, ever imagined anything of the sort. But, you know, as you learn truth, understand, and probably this is relevant to people who believe the truth about God. You know, if, if a person who believes in the Trinity listens to this, you know, that might be a bit uh, of a hard saying to them. But we're looking at the principles. But remember th- uh, something, brothers and sisters. When the servant of the Lord wrote all these statements about the mark of the beast and seal of God, she and all the church at the time did not subscribe to this concept of God whatsoever or any variety of it. They believed in the true and the living God. I'm going to look at one particular example in a minute. But uh, there's one important event before we get to that. There's one important event in the last days. It's when God the Father speaks with his own voice. The day and the hour of Christ's come. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Okay, some no. If there, there's a study, we have a DVD on it. If you want to go into more detail, the only people who understand that voice are the hundred and forty-four thousand. You want to understand the voice of the Father? You have to have His name in your forehead. Everyone else does not understand what is spoken. It's like a thunder. Every, if you don't have the name, this is the only other option: the mark of the beast. Now, that's a very serious thing because a lot of people. Sadly, I believe, are going to maybe wake up too late. That's why we have a responsibility and a duty to share and to warn about this false security that a lot of people place. Let me look at this uh, example here quickly. Ellen White uh, spoke a lot, like I said, about the seal of God and the mark of the beast. She actually refers, mentions one particular person, which she says received, she had died and received the seal of God. Anyone remember that story? It's a sister, Mrs. Hastings. Mrs. She died. Yeah, and it was in the, the year, it was in the 1850s. I think it was 1858 or something. It was very early. Anyway, so Mrs. White writes a letter to, to her husband, Mr. Hastings, to comfort him. He just lost his wife. And in comforting him, she says, you know, I saw that she was sealed with the seal of the living God, or she received the seal. And she will come up at the voice of God in the special resurrection, essentially. I don't have the quote here. But you know what I'm talking about. Now, this sister was sealed with the seal of the living God. She had settled into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so she, she was not moved. Question. What truth did she settle on when it came to who is the God that is worshipped? The church at the time did not believe in the Trinity, as admitted by Trinitarian historians. The church at the time believed in the one true God and his only begotten son. That's who this sister Hastings worshipped. That's who who she believed in. And when she died, the servant of the Lord said she was sealed. Okay? Now, I can assure you that in the 144,000, there's not going to be some people who are sealed who believe this, and some people who believe that, and some people who believe the other thing, and everybody's going to be sealed because it's one seal. It's the seal of the living God. You need to be a worshiper of the living. So if she worshiped this God and received this seal, today by our own admission, we say we worship a different God because we've advanced. We worship a trinity. How in the world do we expect to receive the same seal that she received? It's impossible. We have a very serious deception that's been pulled over our eyes as a people. A very serious one. A hundred years later, you know Mrs. White when she died? The year she died, 1915, she says, great changes are going to come after I die. 
Great changes. What is, what is the greatest thing to change in your worship? Is it maybe who you worship? Yeah. And that has changed. You see what's happened, brothers and sisters? It's a very, very serious circumstance that we're in. And I, I, like you, I'm sure you do too. I know a lot of people who don't know some of the things that we know in the church. Trusting confidently into this. And that's it. It's a very, very serious circumstance. As a matter of fact, this is why it says, not all who profess to keep the Sabbath will be sealed. That straight away tells you. You can't just say the seal is the Sabbath and every Sabbath keeper is going to, that's it, they're automatically saved. There is more. Well, if there is more, what is the more? Here is some more. So, <clears throat> what does all this mean for us? Yes, sanctified by fruit. So a mere profession. And I want to clarify that just because we believe the truth about God doesn't mean we're going to receive the seal either. Sanctified by truth, as Brother Sili said. It's, it's having the truth changes and transforms and having the righteousness of Christ. But an important and integral aspect of that is having the true God and having a relationship with Him. The mental ascent and knowledge of the truth is not enough. It's when the truth is settled into, not just intellectually, she said, but spiritually. When it transforms us. So I don't want us to also have this false security. Oh, well, I'm okay. I don't believe in this Trinity. I'm fine. I'll be okay. We can fall into that trap too. So my appeal to you in closing is this. Let us just be aware of the deeper issues. Let's open our eyes and understand the principles that are involved. If we see it, that's excellent. Praise God. Others don't. We have a duty and responsibility to lovingly warn. Is that what the Bible says? Where our brother's keeper were talking about that yesterday in the baptism. So let's wake up to the real issue. The God of Sunday is the triune God. The God of the Sabbath is the true and living God. That's what the contest is about in the last days. That's what the seal and the mark are all about in the last days. So let's go into the last days with our eyes open. God gave us all this information here so that we don't go into the trouble blind. So that we are aware, like Peter says, we are not of darkness, that that day should overtake us unaware. But we are of the light. We are children of the light. But sadly, the devil has so deceived us that it's clouded the issue to us. So I just wanted to share some, some of these things with you and realize what the battle is all about. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.